You're listening to the One Investment Away podcast, and on today's episode, you'll discover the step-by-step process for uncovering a 100x investment, and more importantly, the research behind why I believe I may have just found the next one. So stay tuned. One stock, one season, one goal to make a 100x investment. This is One Investment Away, where we dive deep into the fundamental analysis from moat to management, from risks to rewards, and finally, from valuation to the actual purchase decision. We're building the OIA portfolio together, one company at a time. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Welcome back to the One Investment Away podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Chudik, and we are scouring the world of investing for the best investment ideas. Then we do the world's deepest dives into those ideas to figure out if they actually have what it takes to reach that coveted one investment away status, the one that will change our lives forever. But let's be real here. Investing is a journey, and you can bet that journey is going to be a little bumpy. But don't worry, because I'll be here to hold your hand and help you navigate those rough patches. Because I am here to be your financial Sherpa, guiding you to the top of that mountain towards the investing success and freedom that awaits us at the top, right? This is our financial revolution, and you get to look over my shoulder as we build out a long-term, deep-dive, one-investment-driven portfolio together. So every purchase, every sale, every win, and every dollar made, you get to come along for the ride, okay? So sit back, relax, grab your favorite beverage, and get ready to discover the wild world of value investing with a sprinkle of terrible humor and a heck of a lot of deep analysis. Because as you already know, you're only one investment away from the life of your dreams. And the goal of this podcast is to make those dreams into your reality. So grab your scuba gear because it's time to dive in. So what if I told you about a company that over the last four years have achieved a compounded annual growth rate of 26% as a business as a whole, okay? Its subscribers grew 26%, monthly active users grew 26%, and importantly, that translated into a revenue growth rate of 26% as well. And if that wasn't enough, there's one more metric we should talk about, and that is the gross profit. It grew at an annual growth rate of 35%. So my question to you is, how much do you think this stock price would have risen during that same four-year time frame? So let's just say that the stock was at $100 four years ago. What price would you estimate that stock would be trading at today? Well, if you're some sort of smarty pants, you may have just applied that 26% annual growth rate to the stock price as well, right? So in that case, if you actually plugged it into a calculator, you'd come up with a number close to 250 bucks, which seems pretty fair, right? At 26% a year, numbers double every roughly three years. Now, what if I told you what actually happened was the stock price instead dropped from that $100 down to $20. Would that maybe have you raise your eyebrow or two? Maybe get you just curious enough to dig a little deeper and find out what the heck was actually going on here? Well, my friend, you're in luck because that is what happened to the company we are analyzing today. And that is Spotify. And this is our jumping off point for our deep dive analysis and just one of the reasons why this company has made it to the top of our list as a contender for achieving that one investment away status. Important next level side note, this is going to be a long audio recording, okay? So it's more of a complete Spotify investment thesis. It's kind of like a white paper turned into an audio format, okay? So I know this may scare off a lot of people, but you're not exactly most people, are you? And I like to think of it from the perspective of time, okay? 
So let's say after listening to this short podcast, you decide to take what you learn and actually invest in the companies we talk about. Okay, this is going to be a hypothetical, not investment advice, not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. But let's just say that you end up investing and with that investment, you double your money. Okay, so now let's say you decided to invest just $10,000 in that investment. Okay, so the lens I want you to look at this from is how long in hours would it have taken you to make that exact same $10,000 at the job you're in right now? So think about that. Do the math. How long would it have taken you to make $10,000 in the job you're at right now? So this is investing return on time, or you can call it the ROT, <laughs> R-O-T, right? So here's what most people never really grasp. Investing isn't just return on your capital, right? It's not just about making money. It's about making time. So it's return on your time. So in the better your returns, the more time you actually get to put back in your pocket and spend how you choose. This isn't your boss choosing or your bills choosing for you, right? This is you choosing for you. So it's for your family, for your children, for your causes, for your mission, for whatever you want to actually spend your time on. So that's what investing allows, okay? And if we go back to our example, let's say you're making 25 bucks an hour or that would translate into roughly $4,000 a month if you're on salary. So if you do the math on this, you'll find that you'll be saving slash making 400 hours. So that's what that double means. It means 400 hours. So it doesn't just mean $10,000. It means 400 hours. And I promise you this podcast will not be anywhere near that long. Wait, it isn't, right? Because sure, money is nice, right? But it's an unlimited resource. Just think about how much money the government prints. They can print however much they want. If they are low, they just print more. It is unlimited. The only truly limited resource is your time. And that's what we're working to give you more of here, okay? So, and that is the real power of investing and especially the way that we are going to be following here. So just think about it. Everyone on the planet gets 24 hours every day. Everybody, no matter if you're rich, poor, young, old, however you want to look at it, 24 hours in a day, you have just as much time as the richest person on the planet and as the poorest. It's everything is equal in that regard. So the difference is the more successful you are as an investor, will actually determine how much of that 24 hours is truly yours. So what we talked about before. So this is why my mission is to help 1,000 people become truly financially independent. So this is financial liberation. So again, just to sell you on how important it is to follow through on your analysis, is that amount of time going to be worth that to you, right? So if you answered with a hell to the yeah, which let's be honest, you should have. I mean, I'm the one doing all the hard work here. You just get to sit back and listen, right? And it's time for us to dive in. So let's get into this. So this is Spotify analysis part two. So this is what I like to call the ask and answer analysis, okay? And if you're one of my students, you already know how this goes, but it's one of the biggest components and it's all about asking the big question about why. So now that we've actually chosen a company, we take that to the next step and decide if it's worth our time to actually invest. Not only invest our money, but invest our time into learning about the business we've chosen, right? So again, we need to go through the following crucial steps. So we need to know the what, the why and the when, and that is for any investment that you're gonna look at. Those three things, what, why, and when, okay? In the first episode, we really dialed in that what, right? So that was figuring out from the thousands of investment ideas out there, just down to one, right? So we narrowed that universe down to just one stock. And of course, you're kind of looking over my shoulder here as I do this. So this is my investable universe and my choice to one stock, right? But again, this is so important that it's inside your personal area of expertise something I like to call the intersection of awesome because I'm a giant nerd, AKA your IOA. And then you combine this with what the world's greatest investors already have invested in, right? So then you check the price they paid and voila, you potentially have a winner. 
So this not only saves a massive amount of your time by shrinking where you look down to only your expertise, but it actually allows us to boost our conviction, which you know that all important conviction, by having some of the world's greatest investors coming to the same conclusion that you did. So that's how powerful that is. So here's part of the awesomeness that follows that though. When we are in a potentially great investable time like we are now, we can actually potentially do much better than the best investors on the planet did because we end up paying less than they did because they may have just gotten in a little bit early. So in other words, if we agree with the thesis that they have and then we have our own thesis that matches that of a potentially great investment long-term, right? And we put in the work to actually get the conviction, which I'm hoping to shortcut for you with this podcast. And then if the investment ends up matching the future we see, then we are going to do very well for ourselves, right? But the cool part is we'll actually do even better than the best investors on the planet that we copied into this idea. So this is the power of the one investment away process, right? So we've already accomplished the what of this process by choosing Spotify, which is always a difficult part of it. So now we need to confirm that we've actually chosen a winner. And I realize you didn't get much say in this. And if you haven't checked out their music and podcast service yet, you definitely should. So you are on the same page when we go through this company analysis, okay? So we want to understand the business and understand the product. That's a huge advantage when we make an investment. And it helps if you actually like the company too, because then you're actually interested in learning about it, which is super important for me, especially because I'm going to spend a lot of time looking into these companies. So I need to actually be interested in the business itself, okay? So when I find a business that I like, I actually get excited about doing the analysis because I find it fascinating to dive into the company and learn more about it, right? So when investing actually is fun on the front end and then fun when you actually make money in those great investment ideas, right? Then it's just fun the whole way around and it just becomes a humongously awesome, humongously is a real word, don't don't second guess that, humongously awesome process, right? Chances are you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, but if you're listening on Apple Music or some other podcast provider, just pause this and go download Spotify right now, okay? Because you're going to have to check this company out itself for you to actually gain conviction in the product, okay? So we are officially into step two of this process. So we've done the what, now we're moving on to the why, and it's the all-important why. And I'm what's known as a value hacker because we take a different approach to investing, especially to like the normal individual investors, right? So we approach it as if we are full-time professionals, but in order to accomplish this, we need to be able to shrink all the amount of work and time and effort that would normally go into analyzing companies, right? Into the time we actually have, which let's be honest, that isn't very much, especially for me. Like I have a two-year-old son who takes up the majority of my time, okay? So all this time has to get scrunched in to the time that I actually do have, okay? And same thing for you. You need to find a way to hack the time that it takes to get you from point A to point B, from idea to action, okay? But not having that much time actually gives us an advantage because we are forced to be smart about our investment. So while others are allowed to waste their time on things that don't actually matter, that won't lead to the answers that we actually need for our analysis, we instead are hyper-focused on what we need, okay? So not because we want to be, but because we have to be. It's out of necessity. So one thing to keep in mind as you go through this, that this is one of the biggest pieces of the analysis, okay? So, and to add to that, it tends to be one of the most difficult. So why would that be? So it's because we're just really starting to get to know the business for the first time. So it's kind of like that first date with somebody, right? You're a little bit nervous. You're a little more than excited than you probably should be, right? And you really don't want to mess it up. But inevitably, you end up asking way too many questions. Some of them just a little bit too personal too, right? But by the end, you know them a heck of a lot more than you did before, right? And more importantly, 
you actually know if you want to see them again, right? So if you want to move forward with this analogy, it means we're gonna actually want to dive into this company more. One of the most interesting and unexpected side benefits of having this focus that we have, and it's actually like an all-encompassing thing, so it doesn't have to just be about investing, it actually could be taken over into our regular day-to-day life too, okay? And this comes from our focus on something I like to call the expiration date analysis. But before we get to that, I need to give you a quick disclaimer, okay? Because since this is our like one of our first podcasts, you need to kind of know the approach that this takes to make a truly great investment truly great. Because you could buy a great company, you could pay a great price, but if you don't actually follow the steps to get you into that company, you're not going to maximize your potential return on that investment. You're going to sell too early, hold it too long. However that works out, you need to have all the pieces in place to make it work, okay? So as my amazing students already know, you can't buy a company, or at least you shouldn't, aka any shares in any stock, simply because I or any other next level investor bought it, okay? And I said, you could, but you shouldn't, okay? You need to find your own conviction. And I hope this podcast helps you find it, but you can certainly start and shortcut the process by borrowing some of the conviction from me, right? So I'm gonna give you all the answers that I think we need to have a reasonable certainty in a company that we can make an investment in, right? And I'm going to give you everything I learned to get me to that conviction level, okay? So that you have what you need to make your own decision. And again, it is your own decision because this is not me making investments for you. So this AAA analysis is really just one more perspective, okay? So we're actually gonna be looking at it from five more after this so that we don't just see a single puzzle piece when we're trying to put this investment thesis together, right? So most investors only look at it from one angle and so they only actually see a cross section of a picture. So what we do instead is we try to get every single angle and look at the entire picture, okay? So strap yourself in, my friend, because this is going to be a heck of a lot of fun and hopefully hugely profitable as well, right? Because that is the goal. So just another side note, next level side note as I call them, keep in mind that for any company that we're doing analysis on, the annual report, also known as the 10K, the quarterly reports, and my personal favorite, the proxy statement, also known as a DEF 14A, are some of the best places to find the answers to the questions that we're asking, okay? So if any time a question comes up, you're like, hmm, how are they actually going to solve this problem? Or how are they going to defend against this competitor? Those are some of the three best spots to look, okay? So again, annual statement, 10K, quarterly reports, 10Qs, and the proxy statement, which is known as a DEF 14A, okay? And you can think of this as like the purest form of answers. Because if you think about it, the internet is really just one giant game of telephone, right? It's somebody taking that information and then interpreting it in their own way and relaying it in a different way. And then somebody takes from that person and does the exact same thing over and over again until what was original doesn't actually exist in that other product that we find. So it's best to go to the source, okay? And the closest source is from the company's legally mandated files themselves, okay? And by now you probably noticed that I give context to almost everything that I'm going through, right? And that's not only because I easily get sidetracked, which I do, and I tend to wind up going down rabbit holes that I find fascinating, And as my very first student, Lynn, often points out to me that I do that all the time, but it's because I don't want to only give you an investment idea, okay? I want to give you the tools so that one day, when you have enough time, that you'll be able to go out and do this for yourself, okay? So you won't have to rely on somebody else. So that's part of that independence piece that I look at, okay? So I'm going to be giving you the fish. You can think about it like this. I'm going to be giving you the fish, but I'm also going to be teaching you how I caught that fish, okay? Is that okay? All right, let's get back to our expiration date approach to investing and to life, okay? So this concept is simple, 
but it's extremely powerful when you apply it to almost everything that you look at. And though it can be extremely difficult to strictly adhere to this philosophy, like it can be really challenging, it's applying the filter of this question, okay? So how long will this piece of information actually last for? So in other words, what's the expiration date on the information that I'm reading, learning about, or listening to, okay? So you can think about it as almost the difference between knowledge and a memorized fact, right? So one is fun to use at a party and to impress your friends with, right? While the other ha actually has a major impact and potentially a ripple effect on the rest of our lives. So knowledge is potential power is what I like to say it as, right? So if you don't use it, it is just like stored energy. But if you actually take action on that knowledge, then it turns into power, okay? So that's like taking action on an investment idea. If I, and it, but again, I digress. So let's get back to the task at hand though, okay? Because we are already about 15 minutes into this and we haven't even talked about Spotify yet, right? So you can see how I'm trying to teach you how to fish, not just give you the fish. So we are into part two of our next level, one investment way, deep dive into Spotify. The ticker symbol again is SPOT, S-P-O-T. So keep in mind that at the time of this writing, I own shares in the company at a basis around 73.3 and the stock at the time of this recording is trading around 75 bucks. So I think we're at a very potentially great investment opportunity here. But that being said, I'm obviously gonna be biased because I don't only really love this business and the company itself and its product, but I already have shares. So make sure you keep what I say with a healthy heap of your favorite Himalayan salt, okay? So I will remain as objective as possible throughout this entire analysis. And I actually have an entire framework that I follow so that I know I'm gonna hit all the main points that I need to, to follow through on an investment. But again, I've already put in the work and now I'm just recording what I found to you, okay? I haven't finished my analysis, so it is just an entry position right now, just to get me even more motivated to complete my analysis. But you need to know that I am invested in this business. So I'm just being completely honest with you and with myself that I may have already fallen head over heels with this one, okay? So I'm gonna try not to let those biases or those behavioral heuristics as they're called, get into my brain before I even am followed through on my analysis. Those of you that have studied behavioral finance, you'll recognize the inherent flaws of not only writing about a company I own, but doing so in a public declarative sort of way. So I'm essentially taking the biggest possible hammer and nailing my preconceptions about the company and what I believe the potential for into it, right? Into the future. So consistency and commitment and man with the hammer syndrome and probably four other biases will be rearing their ugly heads as we go through this together. So just keep that in mind because knowing that they're there is not enough, okay? So actually avoiding their destructive influence is a whole nother thing. In fact, that's exactly why we have the R in our gamers analysis. So that is the rational reversal. So we actually reverse and flip the script so we look at everything negative about the company. So we try to get a reset on why we like the company in the first place, okay? So it gives us that other perspective again. So it allows you and me to take a step back and look at the company through a lens of negativity, okay? To sidestep those behavioral heuristics and see the company and the investment idea as it is instead of as we wish it to be, okay? It's super important. And honestly, only time will tell if this works out, right? So if you're listening to this way into the future, you will know how this worked out. But if you're listening to this when it's released, then you probably won't know yet. And as we've talked about before, the goal of this analysis and for all companies that we analyze in the future, and I mean that we analyze as in me and you, like me, the talker, the chit-chatter, the windbag, and you, the listener, right? 
So to figure out this company, in this case, Spotify has the potential to become a 100X investment. So that's what I consider to be a one investment away. So it's something that turns $1,000 into $100,000, okay? It turns $10,000 into million dollars. So that is a 100X investment. And to, in order to make that achievable, in order to happen, we need to dive deep into the company so that we have conviction to own it for a long period of time. Because the longer we own a company that's truly great, the better our potential is to make that 100x return, okay? Super important. So I don't want to just find great investments for you. I want them to be life-altering, okay? I want them to be dream-creating, like vision-achieving, and that financial freedom and independence generating, right? So that's what this is for. So in other words, I take this shit seriously. So did you see that? I actually used a swear word right there as emphasis. Whoa, this guy is serious. So that being said, this is going to require a high level of conviction so in other words, to get that 100x return, you have to be able to hold it for an entire wild ride because it's going to be a wild ride regardless of the company that you own and what you think the future will be, okay? From scandals to disappointments to sometimes the most difficult at all, large profits. And if, especially if they're fast, those quick profits are really hard to not try to get let go of. So because make no mistake, as hard as it is to sell when their narrative has changed, like if our story has changed, we need to change our mind. It's just as difficult, if not more difficult, to continue to hold on as we make more and more money. But that last double makes up for all the other doubles before it, okay? So we want to hold on for that last double, especially if the company is still growing. So capturing gains is just as intoxicating as making them in the first place. And conviction is the only thing that I've found and that all other successful investors point to that allows you to avoid that siren song and to let you keep holding on, right? But again, I've digressed, of course. So I'm <laughs> really in a teacher preachy mood today, but I think it's because we're in the first, like the early innings of this podcast. And I want you to learn as much as you gain from not only making the investments in the companies that you find conviction in, but learning how to invest on your own as well, right? So here is what we're going to be covering in this first part, okay? That AAA analysis. So we're going to get to know the business. We're going to get to know what big problem they solve, if any. And then we're going to look at, will this business thrive in the next 10 years? And then will this industry, the business is in, thrive for the next 20? Because again, we need to be able to hold on for the long term and we want there to be some tailwinds to push that for us. And could this company be the one for me, okay? And then we're actually gonna value hack the why, a next level investor, so a super investor or a super great investor, however you wanna classify them, decided to buy the company that we're looking at, okay? So when all of those points are gonna point us to one extremely important characteristic of an investment, okay? It's like the core premise. It's the beating heart of any thesis. And it's the main and the most powerful reason why the company we're looking to invest in is likely to be that 10x to 100x return, right? So why it is truly great business. So this is the, you can consider this like the biased opinion of what will propel this company into the future. So me and my students like to call this the North Star narrative, okay? So everything that we learn in this AAA analysis will point to that North Star narrative or narrative North Star. So it's like that single elevator pitch of why this company will do great into the future, okay? So just keep that in mind in the back of your head as we go through this analysis. All right, that is enough context. So now it is time for us to dive into Spotify the business, okay? So this is all gonna be about the business. So we're not even gonna get into numbers until we get especially to the moat and when we go to the valuation, okay? So the moat and the valuation are gonna be the two heaviest number aspects of this. The rest of it is going to be the more of the soft data, okay? So it's us looking into the future and trying to figure out where the heck the business is going. Because the numbers help us with a backseat view, like we're looking in the rear view mirror, right? Because that's the past, all the numbers are in the past. What we have to do is project the into the future and figure out where the company is going. 
So that's where a lot of this subjective analysis is. And that's why we need to be hyper-focused on the business itself, okay? So that is what we're going to cover in this next part of this episode, and that is Spotify the business. You'll discover exactly why Spotify's focus on just three key business foundations has helped them massively outplay the competition. See what I did there? So Spotify, the brief business bio, let's get right into it. So the ticker symbol, which we haven't even discussed yet, is SPOT, okay? And Spotify, if you don't already know, provides audio streaming services worldwide and is currently the number one music and podcast company in the world. So fun fact, they were actually incorporated on December 27th in 2006 back in Stockholm, Sweden. And what started as a small music-only streaming service, first taking on those pesky Swedish pirates, yes, really, they did take on some pirates, has now expanded into an audio company offering music podcasts and now just entered into audiobooks. And Spotify plans to add three more verticals to their business model. So they already have music, audiobooks, and podcasts. So just imagine that they're gonna add three more in the near future to that business, okay? Next level side note. So we'll continually come back to two main business concepts that Spotify is hyper-focused on, okay? So which I'm going to introduce you here just so you have it in the back of your mind again. So first we have what Daniel Eck, our CEO and co-founder of Spotify, who we'll learn about later when we get into management, calls the Spotify machine, okay? So this at its core is the main flywheel that Spotify is focused on turning. And we'll be coming back to this concept later on, but the Spotify machine consists of three main drivers, okay? So they have creators, which are like artists, podcasters, authors now, and they have subscribers, right? Free and paid. And then they also have advertisers. So second is something called subscriber lifetime value or LTV for short. And this is something we're gonna get into when we get into the moat analysis part of this, but it's something we won't go too into depth into this one. But I wanted to put it on your radar early because it is another key element to the Spotify's future success, okay? And it's one of those KPIs or key performance indicators that they look at within the company. And it's one of the reasons why I think Spotify could be severely undervalued as it is right now, okay? So LTV or lifetime value essentially is forecasting how much revenue each subscriber will contribute to Spotify over their subscription lifetime. So how long they use the service for and how much revenue they will contribute to the company, okay? So don't worry if this doesn't make sense yet, but it will in the future. So at the time of this recording, just to keep reference, Spotify is around a $15 billion business, okay? And they have three main business foundations that they are focused very heavily on. And remember to keep in mind that every single decision Spotify makes is focused. Let's try that again. Every single decision Spotify makes is focused on improving that lifetime value of its users, okay? So they're they're trying to improve that LTV because if they do, that means every single subscriber that they're able to add to their service increases future potential revenue, okay? So these three business foundations are ubiquity, personalization, and freemium, okay? So let's talk about ubiquity first with Spotify. So if you're like me, ubiquity is a word that you don't see very often. And I actually had to Google this the first time I came across it, but I'll save you the embarrassment that I had to go through and just admit it to you for some reason. So ubiquity simply means being everywhere on every device possible, okay? So that Spotify is with the user at every moment in their lives. So that's things like tablets, wearables, like watches, iOS, Android, desktop, smart speakers, streamers, smart TVs, gaming, and cars, okay? So they're trying to be basically everywhere and anywhere that they can possibly be. And this actually turns out to be a pretty big advantage because Spotify found that when the users engage with their services on multiple devices, it led to a lower churn rate. And lower churn means higher LTV. Next level side note, churn rate is basically what it sounds like, okay? So it's how many users leave the service at any given month. 
So we'll talk about this again in the mind the moat piece of this analysis, but Spotify is already the lowest in the industry at around 3.4% per month churn, okay? And they have lowered that churn rate by almost 30% in the last four years. So that's the growth direction we, or the shrinking direction that we wanna see. So that's a healthy sign. The lower the churn, the higher the lifetime value and subscriber growth. So super important to pay attention to with this company specifically, okay? So now let's talk about Spotify's personalization and discovery. So this may just be the most important and popular aspect of Spotify right now. So when a friend recommends Spotify to you or you to them, right? Maybe you have already. It's almost always how personal the service feels, right? So Spotify just gets me is what people say. So it's a common phrase that's passed around. It knows what music you like and what you don't like. And it makes individual personalized playlists based on your own preferences. So just take a second and think how powerful that is. So there are roughly 195 million paid subscribers right now, subscribe to Spotify. And every single one of those 195 million people has a personal experience with Spotify. So in fact, if you compared our first three songs right now, seriously, try this out with the playlist. So look up the playlist on your phone, songs to sing in the shower. Okay, once you have that, my top three right now are Dancing with a Stranger by Sam Smith, Happier by Marshmallow and Bastille, and If the World Was Ending by J.P. Sachs. If you haven't already, check yours now. It's fine, I'll wait, okay? It's not like I have anything better to do. So this is pretty incredible. And users tend to agree. So roughly 81% of subscribers say that personalization is what they like most about Spotify. Discovery is also a large component of this segment as well, and it helps drive more engagement and it makes Spotify more attractive to the artists as well. So this in a large part is thanks to Spotify's powerful artificial intelligence or AI engine that it uses, okay? And the popularity, personalization, and discovery built into their unique playlists. So there's a miniature feedback loop for both the subscribers and for the artists as well. So Spotify is able to achieve these awesome playlists and recommendations based on, you guessed it, three types of recommendation models. And if you really want to nerd out, these are called collaborative filtering models, natural language processing models, and audio models, okay? So if you really want to dive in, you can look at those because we're not going to go into depth about them here. So this adds another powerful spoke to that Spotify flywheel that we talked about, right? So Spotify found that it drives more engagement with current subscribers and allows users to easily discover artists they like or are likely to like, which is fun to say, and it can be career-making for independent artists like a playlist called Rap Caviar or Hot Country can make artists famous overnight, essentially, if they get onto those playlists, okay? So it's pretty powerful. So there are stories abound about an artist getting featured. And like I said, they become almost instantly popular. In fact, Spotify has employees dedicated to this exact job. So they are called music tastemakers. And yes, that's their actual job title. So they boost certain artists that they think others will like. So if they do well on one playlist, they actually keep bumping them up to bigger playlists that have more subscribers attached to them, okay? Serving both the desires of the user and helping these potentially great future artists become discovered much quicker than they normally would. So quick next level side note, for a more detailed deep dive into this, check out the podcast called Spotify For The Record, and the episode is titled Getting Personal, and it's an excellent deep dive into this aspect of the business, which is pretty pretty cool to hear. And you can think of that as a feedback loop too, right? Because the more stories like this that artists hear, of people getting discovered and becoming famous overnight, the more likely they are to put their music or their art or their podcast on Spotify, right? So it can be a powerful addition to that flywheel we talked about. So now let's talk about Spotify's freemium business model. And that word freemium is a lot more popularized now, but when it started out, Spotify was one of the very first to actually go into this style of business, okay? So before we go to the free side of things, 
let's quickly cover some of the paid subscriber options. So if you're already a user of Spotify, then you'll likely know that there are a number of different options available to you, especially depending on your geographical location. And paid plans like that include individual, duo, so it's for two people, family, so a bigger group, and then a student pass, okay? So ranging from $4.99 for the student plan to $16 for the family plan, okay? So which includes a separate Spotify Kids app for that family plan, which is cool. So what you may not realize though, is that these prices are extremely varied depending on your geographic location, even though I did just kind of give that away. An excellent example of this is in India, where you can actually subscribe daily, so you can pay every single day to have Spotify Premium for seven rupees, which is roughly eight and a half cents American, okay? Or the family plan, which is 179 rupees, which is about $2.20. So in other words, the subscription targeting and offering are all geographically sensitive, which is pretty powerful. But it's not only powerful, but it's important for the future growth of Spotify, right? Because they have to be sensitive to each geographic's locations, not only their needs, but what they can actually afford to pay for the service, right? So free, on the other hand, happens to be the same price regardless of location, right? See what I did there? So here's what Daniel Eck had to say about that. So he said, our strategy was to be available to all consumers on all platforms. So if you wanted to reach the most number of users in a very competitive world, what is the most aggressive strategy you could have? Well, how about lowering the price point to zero? And again, that was Daniel Eck, the CEO of Spotify. So this is a powerful entry-level product for Spotify, right? So in fact, it's one of the primary drivers and key differentiators too in the market for users who eventually become premium members, okay? So not only do they make some money up front because that freemium model is actually ad-supported, so they're not losing money for every free member, but the longer that those members stay on the platform, the more they use the platform and enjoy it, the more likely they are to convert to one of the paid member levels, okay? So this simple but powerful business model has allowed them to enter over 185 markets now. So free is a very low barrier to entry, allowing them to be nimble and quickly establish a foothold in new markets, right? So they then get to work and keep growing that user base and turn them into raving fans who will one day pay them for their service. So free users right now get instant access to over 80 million songs with roughly 60,000 added every single day and now 4 million podcasts, all risk-free right? No upfront cost. Not only is it a smart business model upfront, right? It also has the potential to protect the company during recessions so that people who can't afford that premium service anymore can drop back down to free and have the ad supported tier, knowing that in the future, they will likely hop back onto that paid subscription plan, right? And as far as the users dropping off the service actually goes, it's exceedingly low. In fact, it's the lowest compared to all of their closest competitors by quite a large margin. And they've actually seen this number decline by 30% in the last four years, which is a trend in the right direction, right? The right direction we want to see. And I'll link this active monthly churn rate chart in the show notes, okay? The other interesting thing that Spotify has seen is they add these new business verticals that we've talked about, right? So all under one user interface, super important, which we'll talk about later, is that this churn number is actually decreasing over time. So while time spent on the device is increasing, and those two things seem to be very tightly correlated, okay? So one important factor to understand is that the fact that the more time a user spends on Spotify, the less likely they are to actually leave the service. And the longer a user spends and interacts with the service, the more likely they are to convert to that premium member, right? So this all leads to a higher LTV or long-term value, right? Or lifetime value of that user, which also means that as they get better at recommending podcasts, audiobooks, and all those other verticals that they add in the future, that churn rate should continue to decline. So this automatically pulls that lever of the lifetime value, right? 
So the higher the average lifetime value for every Spotify user, even if they're free on the upfront, the more valuable it is to add each new user to the service. So just think about that for a second. Do you realize how powerful that is? So they are able to spend more to acquire every single user they have because not only is that user likely to stay longer than their competitors, but it's also going to increase the value of them over their lifetime. So if they know how much each user is worth to them as a business, they can spend up to the point where they want to have the margins that they're looking for, okay? So that's extremely powerful. And the knock-on effects of this is that as more users are added, the older users actually become worth more. And each new user becomes worth more to the business than the last one, thanks to this powerful feedback loop slash the flywheel, right? So that is pretty cool. So just to quickly summarize, ubiquity is to be everywhere, right? Personalization is the right audio in the right place in the right time. So it's personal to everybody. And then freemium is that top of the funnel that they use to get subscribers into the service and then convert them into the paid subscribers, okay? Now let's talk about how Spotify currently makes money, okay? And we already kind of touched on this in a couple different ways, but Spotify currently operates in two and now three primary business segments, right? So they have free ad-supported service that we just talked about. They have premium subscription service, right? A monthly no limits streaming service. And they have something called an a la carte service, okay? So while the ad supported service provides an on-demand access to its music catalog with commercial breaks and then unlimited online access to the catalog of podcasts with no commercial breaks that I'm aware of, the premium provides unlimited online and offline streaming. So you can download things to your phone or your device and to access to its catalog of music podcasts and everything else without commercial breaks. All personalized for every single subscribed user. Okay, this is super important. And the newest vertical, and the one that has the best profit margins to date, at least profit potential according to Spotify, is the a la carte service that allows users to buy individual items, such as audiobooks, musician swag, like t-shirts, sweaters, albums, what's those called, vinyl, or even concert and event tickets is what they're getting into next. So each of these separate business segments has different revenue potential and profit margin potential, and they're actually growing at different rates as well. So a la carte is actually growing the fastest, but it's also the smallest, right? So it makes sense and the least meaningful because of that at this time. So one of the main internal business tenets that Spotify follows is that they embrace complexity, okay? Think about it this way. With every single new segment and vertical that Spotify adds to the company, the more complex the business becomes, right? So they are also heavily layered into the machine learning, right? That AI we talked about, which to anyone without a supercomputer for a brain, honestly, is very complex, right? By its very nature. But, and this is important, the business itself remains very simple. So it gives users access to the best music, podcasts, and now audiobooks, wherever they are in one simple user experience, the Spotify app, right? So instead of doing what other businesses did and what they were recommended very strongly when they went into podcasting specifically, that they should have separate apps for different verticals, right? So think about with Apple Music, they have their own podcast app, right? So Spotify decided to put everything under the same umbrella, just Spotify the app. So not only does this make it simple for the users, but it also gives Spotify a massive head start with any new vertical they introduce. So just think about that for a second. So instead of creating a new app and then trying to reach new users, right, with this new app, having them essentially download and join the app, they instead combine it with the existing offering, okay, allowing them to leverage the now roughly 456 million monthly active users, also known as MAU, by the way. So this not only allows them to reach massive scale much more quickly, but it also lowers their time to profitability, right? Because they've reached that scale as rapidly as possible. 
That's pretty clever, right? Quick next level side note. One important thing to emphasize with this right off the bat, again, sets apart Spotify from its competition, is that single user experience. And that's because they are becoming a platform rather than a service, okay? So we won't get too deep into this here because it's more of that moat conversation, the competitive advantage. But you should know that Spotify doesn't gatekeep with paywalls or device specificity, right? So not only is it ubiquity of devices, but it's ubiquity of content as well. So all the content everywhere, you can think of it like that. So whereas Apple Music and Amazon Music actually gatekeep on theirs. So instead they want to be on every single device that makes sense, right? Like Sonos, for example, which we have in our kitchen. So they want a seamless, single, and personal experience on every single device that you use. So they also don't want to charge to host podcasts on their service. So like the person who makes a podcast like I'm doing now, I don't get charged to put my podcast on Spotify. And with Spotify having the most subscribers out of any platform, roughly 456 million people, right? This means it's advantageous for exclusive competitors' podcasts to end up on Spotify because it's in their best interest to do so, right? So after all, it is the ads inserted into these podcasts that finance those acquisitions. So that's how they're making money by acquiring these podcasts. And advertisers certainly want access to those 456 million people, right? Okay, so far we've covered how Spotify makes money off its subscribers, but here's the thing. That's not the only way they make money. They are also making money off the artists as well. And that's because Spotify has something that's called a double-sided marketplace. So not only do they make money from the subscribers, right? But they're also able to make money off the content producers themselves. So this includes like musicians, music labels, podcasters, and authors, right? So that's basically who makes content right now. So in other words, not only do they make money off the product itself through ads, subscription, and one-off services, right? But they're also getting paid by the producers of the content. And that's through things like promotion or one-off sales or t-shirts or album sales, like stuff like that, right? So one of the fastest growing segments of this is through something called the marketplace. And although the profit margin is still not significant relative to the total profit, the growth and the potential for that growth is very significant. For example, in 2017, Marketplace added 8 million euros of gross profit. And then by 2021, though, it contributed 161 million in gross profit. So you can see the 8 million to 161 is a substantial amount of growth, right? So we don't really know the trajectory of that growth yet. It's just two small numbers right now. So the growth is very exponential at this point. So we just need to see that settle down so we can predict where that's going to go with some relative accuracy, right? And we'll get into this side of the business in much more detail in our mind the moat conversation, but it's still very important and like a big growing aspect of their revenue streams, right? Because it's something outside of their deal with the record labels, which they have kind of a margin cap on right now, right? So what they do when they expand their business outside of this record label deal, then they can actually uncap that earnings potential as well, which is super important. So that is a brief overview of how Spotify actually makes their money, right? So now let's talk about Spotify's internal North Star. Because remember, the point of this AAA analysis is to figure out exactly what the investment thesis is for Spotify, right? So it's like that single sentence of why this is a great investment. But in this case, we're going to look at why, what Spotify thinks is their internal North Star, okay? So this is always a question we need to answer when we're evaluating any business that we're going to invest in. So what is the North Star of this business, okay? And then what is the guiding light? Jim Collins, one of my favorite authors for business in particular, would call this the big, hairy, audacious goal, right? The BHAG. So this is the lens we need to apply to all the research we do into any company, as I mentioned. So do they have a mission? And maybe even more importantly, do they actually talk about it, right? 
For Spotify and for most companies we're analyzing, we're gonna find this inside their annual report, okay? And normally in the US, this would be called the 10K, but since this is a company that's out of Sweden, it's actually called a 20F. And again, that's because they're headquartered in Sweden, but it's still the annual report, okay? And sometimes the easiest way to find this is just to use Control F on a Windows computer when you're in that annual report, and then just type in mission, and then look for those words that have mission, okay? It's kind of a little neat little hack, time hack for you. So with Spotify, I was able to find out that their mission is to unlock the potential of human creativity by giving a million creative artists the opportunity to live off their art and billions of fans the opportunity to enjoy and be inspired by these creators. And if you think about that for a second, that's a pretty lofty goal considering they have roughly 450 million subs right now, right? 195 million paid subscribers, right? And I tried to figure out how many creatives actually make money on Spotify and it seemed like only about 16,500 made over 50,000 on Spotify and that's recording artists only. So it's really hard to dig into how many podcasters are like relying on Spotify for their income, but I know a lot of businesses do rely on Spotify. It's just really hard to quantify that number. But if we use that 16,500, they're obviously a long ways away from that 1 million artists, right? Living off their art. We should also point out that they use the word billions. So not just the 1 billion, right? Number that we talked about. So from my research to this point, I found that Daniel X short term, AKA less than 10 years, so in roughly eight years, the goal is to have 1 billion users by the year 2030. So that gives them eight years to get there, as I mentioned, which works out to be a little more than 100% subscriber growth, right? So that means, that means they need to compound their users or add 17% users every single year for the next eight years to achieve that goal. So we also have to check in to see if that is achievable, right? And this actually transitions us into making an extremely important point, okay? So anytime you see a company using very specific numbers, then we need to be able to check those numbers against reality. So in other words, I call this a reality check, okay? And a quick next little side note that this is the case when you're doing any sort of valuation. You must always check your assumptions against the reality you find yourself in and the reality your company finds itself in, okay? So when we do this through two primary lenses, there's a micro view, which is like the zoomed in lens, right? So we're zoomed all the way in on the picture. And then there's a macro view. So we're zooming way out to see the whole picture, okay? So microview in this case, Spotify, the business. So this is the company specific lens that you must look through. So you look at what the historical growth rate is for the metric you're looking at. And historical growth rate just means the growth in the past, right? So how fast they've been able to grow up to that point. And then you need to look at what actually drove that growth in the past. And much more importantly, what is the propeller or the tailwind or the shoving force that will drive that growth rate into the future, right? because we can look backwards, but really what we're doing is looking forwards. So in the case for Spotify, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but you know, I can't stop myself and you literally can't stop me. So they have a historical growth on their subscribers close to 26% per year compounded, right? We talked about that right at the very beginning of this analysis, but, and it's a big, but this growth has tapered off recently in these last few years, right? And now it's actually hovering closer to that 20% growth. So we need to make sure that that headline data that we're given, like that 20% compounded growth rate, that's nice to hear, but we actually have to look at the trend, super important. So ideally we'd actually see this growth rate improving into the year that we're in now, right? Instead of decreasing. So the question as we go through this analysis that we'll have to answer is whether this 20% is the new normal or if it'll go back up to that 26% historical growth or if it'll actually slow down. And then as I mentioned before, what will be the main driver of this growth, right? Remember that all that real financial numbers that we are looking at are backwards looking. Every single one of them is looking at the past. And when we invest today, 
we're investing into what the company will be in the future, right? It's not what the company was. It's what the company is and will be. And then the last thing we look at is does this projected metric that we assign to the company seem reasonable? And more importantly, is it actually achievable, right? And that's when we look to the macro view. So the macro view is taking a good hard look and actually understanding the underlying economics of the industry that the company is in, okay? So in Spotify's case, they're in the audio streaming service industry, right? So it's kind of like a software as a service industry. This, in the case of Spotify, is made up of three primary sectors that they're in right now, right? So music, podcasting, and audiobooks. You can almost look at every single vertical separately because these are the three different industries that they're operating in. And for each of these three industries that Spotify is operating in, we must answer two extremely important questions here. And you can probably see by now why this is called the ask and answer analysis, right? So number one is, are there any headwinds slowing companies down in this industry, such as tech disruption, physical constraints, or trend shifts, right? So an example of this would be like Blockbuster, when Netflix started to deliver DVDs first directly to consumers, right? And then they moved into streaming directly to consumers. So Blockbuster, instead of pivoting and going with the wind, decided to fight that headwind, right? So they were going against the wind of change. And because they didn't adjust their course with and go with that wind of change, they ended up failing. Or number two, and this is obviously the preferable one for us, is the industry experiencing tailwinds, right? Giving the companies a push forwards, such as underlying industry growth, direct impact from other sectors that are kind of contributing to industry growth, right? Or government favorability. And the first thing that comes to mind for me with the obvious tailwind is the microchip business right now. So with the internet of things, right, quote unquote, where everything is becoming smart, from TVs to toasters, right, the industry has a strong tailwind for growth ahead because everything in the future might have a chip in it. So that is obviously growth into the future for that industry, right? In our case for Spotify, we need to specifically know if music, podcasting, and audiobooks are growing or shrinking industries, right? And then at what rate each is growing or shrinking. Then we have to compare those growth rates with the assumptions that Spotify is using for that 2030 number, right? That 1 billion monthly active users or MAUs. And is that supported by what we find, okay? This is kind of what Howard Marks would call second level thinking, right? It's not that surface level thought process that will Spotify grow. It's like, what are the underlying components that will allow Spotify to grow into the future? And are each of them experience that growth? And at what rate are they growing, okay? Next level side note, so you're probably starting to see just how important it is that you can not only find the right answers, but that you actually know which questions to ask in the first place, right? Because let's face it, if you don't know the questions, you probably won't find the answers, will you? And maybe most importantly, what the heck are those wins and how long are they likely to blow for, right? So anytime you are looking into the future, which is what we're always doing when we're investing, especially when it's something like Spotify is doing, where they are attaching a actual number to the guidance to that future, we must also really and always do what I call a reality check, okay? And it's to ask, is there actually room for this growth? So this is also known as the total addressable market that we talked about earlier, or TAM for short, T-A-M, right? So in Spotify's case, at least for the business as a whole, they have a whole lot of room to grow because they are currently only hovering around a $15 billion market cap, okay? And a quick next level side note. So market cap is a good general measurement for this because it's simply taking the total number of shares outstanding multiplied by the current stock price. And this is also known as the company's current market value, okay? But we, as aspiring one investment awayers, right, we need to get much more detailed so we don't stop there. So we actually get a lot more granular 
and zoom in to look at the underlying subsectors as well. So how much market penetration they already have in those subsectors, right? And how much they think there actually is left to grow in those businesses. So total addressable market or that TAM is one of those Wall Street terms that is talked about often enough that it's actually become a Googleable thing for most public companies, okay? Try this right now. So take this from passive listening to active learning, which is a defining characteristic of any next level investor and Google what is Spotify's total addressable market or whatever company that you are doing your analysis for and see if you can find that number. And when we get to the moat conversation, right, the durable competitive advantage, that's where we'll dive into these individual numbers to make sure that Spotify actually can grow into the numbers that they set out in their most recent investor day. So we'll be diving into that soon. But before I answer that question for you, see if you can answer that question for yourself, right? So what is Spotify's total addressable market? See if you can find the answer to that question. And for bonus marks, see if you can find it for each of those three verticals we talked about, okay? We're diving into part three of the AAA analysis where we'll dive into exactly what Spotify does for the world and if it matters. And finally, we'll talk about how Spotify actually stole from pirates. And just like with Lego, everything that we're doing here stacks on top of each other, okay? So all these pieces fit nicely together. So it's important that we have all of the pieces so we see exactly what we are building here. And with that in mind, let's get back to our Lego instruction manual and keep building here. So this one I'm gonna call what Spotify does for the world and why it matters. So as you may have guessed, we have more questions to answer. Surprise! And this is a biggie. So with our next level students, we have them always answer this simple yet powerful question. So how painful would it be if this company were to suddenly disappear off the face of the planet? So think about that for a second. So for any business you're gonna invest in, think about if they just snap the fingers disappeared, how painful would that be for the people who use that company? So not an easy question to answer for most companies you'll come across, right? And more importantly, which is part of the power of this question, it requires that you actually have a good understanding of the underlying business itself, right? So who they serve, how important it is in those people's daily lives, or at least in their livelihoods, right? So for Spotify, we can actually look at this in four different ways, and we can lump them into two groups. So those who pay for the service, right, the subscribers, and those who are paid by the service. So like they're creatives, the musicians, podcasters, authors now, right? Music labels, another one, and advertisers, which is another big one that's coming online, right? So this is a simplific simplification of the business model, but it's still a powerful view to look through, right? Which I'd highly recommend that you take with you into your mode analysis as well. So let's talk about the subscribers first. So in the case of Spotify disappearing, this would affect, at least at the time of this recording, 456 million people. And 195 million of those are the paid subscribers, okay? So that's a large chunk of people on the planet for sure. I think they say something like 2% of the entire planet is subscribed to Spotify, which is kind of cool. So that number alone adds to the weight and the impact certainly, right? But would those people actually care? So that's actually a much tougher question. So if we just use me as an example, okay? So as I was taking notes on this research for this company, I was listening to a focus playlist that I built for myself. When I get home from work from the day, I ask Alexa to play Spotify on Kitchen, which plays Spotify through our Sonos speakers we have set up on our living room kitchen area. And when I'm driving, I play music through Bluetooth connection through Spotify. When I'm out jogging, you guessed it, Spotify again, both podcasts and music in this case. When our son makes a song request, he's currently two, is a song called, <laughs> called Cloudy Day by Tones and I actually, so that we can dance terribly. It's Spotify that plays that request. So when I listen to all my favorite podcasts, such as the One Investment Way podcast, obviously, it's again through Spotify. 
when I do chores. I'm either listening to audiobooks or Spotify. In other words, Spotify is completely integrated itself within my daily life. And if I were to count up the number of hours a day, it's taken up a large portion of it. So just next level side note, on average, users listen to 38.1 hours per week of Spotify. So that's more than five hours per day. So this actually touches on a powerful advantage of being an audio platform because it doesn't require your total focus, right? You can multitask while you listen. You can run, you can walk, you can clean, you can cook, you can drive, you can basically do any activity while you're accompanied by Spotify, which makes its reach humongous, right? Which is one of the reasons I like the business idea so much. But that being said, there is competition that users could switch over to pretty easily, right? So let's say that Spotify disappeared off the face of the earth. Like I could switch over to Apple Music, even though I'd probably be unhappy for a while because my user experience would probably decrease and they wouldn't have the personalization that Spotify has for me, right? I'd still live. Like there'd be no humongous change in my life. So although it's likely an emotional high amount of pain, it's not necessarily a necessity type of pain, right? So I don't have to live with it. Now, some people would argue against that. You audiophiles out there would definitely argue the point, but it still needs to be said. So painful, yes, but definitely not deadly. So then let's talk about what would be painful for the money makers on Spotify. So this is where things get a little more interesting, right? So Spotify paid the music industry over $7 billion in 2021 and over $21 billion to date since their inception. So this is obviously a substantial amount, but it's even bigger when you look at the impact that that amount of money had on the big three. So the big three in the music industry are Sony, Universal, and Warner, okay? So those are the biggest three music labels. And Spotify actually represents a third of their total streaming revenue. So this would be extremely painful for them. And in some cases, it would actually be deadly for them if they disappeared, right? So here's one of the major reasons why. Spotify currently owns, like controls, 31% of the streaming market. The next closest competitor is Apple, a $2 trillion business to Spotify's 15 billion, right? With just 15% of the market. So this is what a dominant player looks like, right? So they're twice the size of their biggest competitor, which means they contribute twice as much as their biggest competitor. So the big question you'll have to keep an eye on as an owner or a potential owner of this business is can they hold on to this share of the market? as streaming continues to see this rapid growth, right? One of the most interesting parts of this story is actually what's not really shown. So if you do any research on Spotify, you probably won't find this. So if you can mentally time travel back with me to the year 2012, okay? So the world of pirating music was standard. Everyone and their dog did this, okay? So music industries were falling apart as people were constantly and increasingly downloading music online for free, illegally, right? So then Spotify shows up out of nowhere, Sweden, and takes the fight directly against those who are uploading music illegally and then allowing other people to download it, right? So against those pirates. Just think about how audacious this is for a second. Spotify was trying to compete with something that was completely free. It was established already, right? And it was commonplace. And then they bring their product to market, which is completely untested, unknown, and they wanted users to pay for it. So that is definitely pretty audacious to me, right? And just for a little more background on the time that was going on right now, or in 2012, from 1999 to 2014, the global music industry revenue was dropping precipitously, to use a fun word, from 25.2 billion all the way down to 14.2 billion. Okay, from 1999 at 25.2 billion, all the way down to 2014 to 14.2 billion. And consider now that Spotify adds 7 billion to the music industry today, right, per year, all on its own. So since that time, thanks to streaming and mostly to Spotify sparking this, the music industry has again seen consistent growth. So with its largest ever revenue year in 2021 of $28.8 billion. And this was actually up 24.6% from the year before. That's pretty awesome. So the question is, how the heck were they able to do this, right? 
So it turns out the user experience of downloading music illegally online was terrible. Not that I'd have any experience with that, obviously. So what Spotify did was offer a much better user experience and they let people start using their product for free, which is known as a freemium business model now, but it actually didn't really exist of at that time. So not only did Spotify change the way we as users listen to music by not having to download music illegally anymore, right? But they brought growth back to a rapidly shrinking music industry. That's pretty epic. Quick next level side note here. If the Spotify story fascinates you as much as it did for me, I'd highly recommend that you listen to Spotify, a product story podcast. Okay, It's on Spotify, obviously, hosted by Spotify's chief research and development officer, Gustav Soderstrom. And if you're serious about learning about this business, aka wanting to invest in this company, this is an excellent place to get more detailed knowledge on the Spotify story experience too. Let's get back to it. So just to summarize what Spotify was able to do here is that they were able to come into a marketplace that was completely free, completely ingrained, and it was commonplace, right? And they were able to offer their own version of that same product that was a much better user experience. And then they were able to take away from those pirates, right? So they were able to switch people's habits, which is not easy to do, away from downloading music illegally and to actually paying for music again. And this change in user behavior revolutionized the music industry once again, right? So we moved away from CDs and then over to illegal music. And then we moved back to streaming music, right? And now it's the number one way that the music industry now makes money is through streaming. And instead of a shrinking music business, we're seeing growth year after year, thanks to Spotify in a large part. So in this case, you could see that if Spotify disappeared off the planet, like instantly again, right now, this would obviously be a huge blow to not only the music industry, but all of the artists that those music industries represent, right? Because Spotify has a rough 70-30 share with the music industry. So that means the music industry gets 70% of the revenue, whereas Spotify only gets 30%, okay? So when artists are talking about how Spotify doesn't pay enough, it's actually because the music industry and the labels that represent them are taking too much of that 70% cut. Because if they didn't take a cut, it means the artists would keep 70% of that streaming revenue. So just to put a bow on it, I would say that it's not only painful for a lot of these or this industry, but it could be deadly, right? So that's a pretty big hit if Spotify leaves. So now let's talk about the advertisers on Spotify though. So advertising revenue is still relatively small as far as a portion of Spotify earnings go, a little less than 10% of their revenue right now. Of course, for some advertisers, it may be the only place they advertise, right? So it's the growth numbers in this category that we'll look at later in our analysis as well. But for now, let's just stick with the marketing budget for audio advertisers. So Spotify is the best place to spend those ad dollars because they are the best in class for targeting, reporting, and cost per result, it's called, okay? So it's gonna get a little bit technical, but I'll try not to keep it too granular here. So it's still very early on the side of this business, but what's important to focus on here is how much information Spotify has on the people's listening habits, right? On the on me specifically, let's say. So from my music habits to my podcast habits to the actions that I take within the app, right? So now you compare that to broadcast radio, okay? So you can see how Spotify could use a better targeted <laughs> version of an ad versus regular broadcast radio. Because with broadcast radio, you don't know who your ad is targeting, how old they are, what any of their habits are. You just put your ad up and you hope that people see it and hope that they act on it, but you don't actually know. So this is why Spotify and other audio providers are like magnets for these dollars. Currently around 14 billion and about uh, 17.6 billion is still left on that regular radio. But I'm getting ahead of myself again, obviously. So a fun fact here, good old fashioned radio, you know, the one where you turn the frequency and there's ads every about eight minutes is referred to as terrestrial radio. Who knew? So far, we've really only been focusing on one side of the equation. And admittedly, it's because it's the much bigger side of the equation, right? 
but it's still just one side of the equation. So the other is the creatives, right? So that rely in some cases entirely on Spotify subscribers to have a business at all. So this is the case for the hopeful millions who currently have podcasts on Spotify, right? So if Spotify were to disappear tomorrow, so would a lot of their incomes, right? And that is a huge emotional and lifestyle impact on these individuals and businesses. This was an extremely difficult area to quantify because there's not really any data on how many podcasters are actually making money, either selling their own ads or their own business side of things on Spotify. But I know some personally who rely on Spotify and it would take away roughly 456 million people who could be their potential audience, right? So that's a pretty big impact. So again, in this case, it's painful to deadly. And we won't talk about audiobooks just because it's brand new and there's no data on that yet. But in the future, you could see this being a big source of revenue for both the authors and those who are actually recording the books themselves, right? So you can kind of see just at a glance, now that you think back on what we just talked about, how Spotify is trying to get all these people deeply ingrained in Spotify itself, right? The more people who would technically be hurt if Spotify were to disappear, the better for Spotify as a business. And just remember that term LTV that we talked about, right? That lifetime value. So Spotify is always focused on trying to improve that LTV. And the higher they can make that LTV relative to what it costs them to get that individual user, then the better they're going to do long term. So to conclude on all that we just talked about, Spotify's current would it be missed score for me from a 1 to 10 would be around a 7, right? So they are a crucial revenue stream for not only the top recording artists, but also their record labels. However, people could still switch to a worse user experience, right? With some complaining for sure to be certain but still very possible and fairly simple for them to do, right? So there's still plenty of room for this number to go up in the future, especially if they are able to become the Google of audio that one of their acquisitions pods points to, which we're not gonna get into because it's a big sideways tangent. In other words, not only is Spotify having a bigger impact, the bigger it gets, right? For each turn of that snowball, the more impact it has, but it's actually the more users actually spend time on Spotify, the more valuable it becomes to them. So whether it's the subscribers getting more personalized information and more personalized recommendations recommendations, which makes those recommendations more accurate and therefore more valuable, but it's also the advertisers getting better recommendations on their ads and they get better at spending their ad dollars and get a better return on their investment. And the longer an artist spends on the service, the more monthly active streamers they have and the more of that consistent revenue they're able to generate. So the deeper they are ingrained in Spotify. So if it was to disappear, the more impactful and more painful it would be, the longer they actually use the service. But you can think of it like this, okay? So as the snowball rolls, that is Spotify, it keeps getting bigger and bigger, right? And the bigger it is, the more impact it creates per roll, the more ground it covers every time it does that full circle turn, right? And the more that snowball rolls, the deeper those earlier snowflakes are buried in that snowball, right? So the deeper they are, the harder it is to leave that rolling ball. And as that momentum keeps building and building, so does that value and that impact. And if Spotify is able to keep rolling like it has and the momentum continues, then that pain score is going to keep going up too. So that snapshot pain score is important, but it's the direction of that score that's even more important. All right, now that we have that taken care of, let's talk about something called the ideal customer avatar. So this is who Spotify is actually trying to serve, okay? So and this has just been shown that if a company doesn't have this dialed in, then they don't really know who they're targeting and they won't actually be able to attract those people, okay? In other words, the better they know their target audience, the better they will be able to serve them and the lower their cost per acquisition. Think of it that way. And this again, in the case of Spotify, is super interesting which is one of the reasons why it's so much fun digging into businesses like this that we're actually into, right? So because Spotify has a multifaceted business model, in business speak, this would be called a double-sided marketplace. 
where they are serving both the fans and their producers. Though in other words, Spotify doesn't just target one audience. And ideally, we'd like to see this defined for each of these business segments in as a precise term as possible. Kind of like I'm finding in their Form 20F, they should have this defined precisely so they know exactly who they're targeting and who they're serving, okay? So this is a powerful concept and question because it will directly translate to their focus. And ultimately, this focus determines their results, okay? Said another way, it's critical that they know exactly who they are serving, how they are serving them, and what they can be the best in the market at. So if this remains vague, the results will be just as uninspiring, okay? However, if they know exactly who they are serving, they can ask more powerful questions. Like, is this something our avatar would actually want? And Steve Jobs, one of the greatest marketers of all time, if not the greatest, said it like this. Get closer than ever to your customers. So close that you tell them what they need well before they realize that they need it themselves. So if we zoom out for a second, at the most fundamental level, Spotify is able to target anyone who has a smartphone, technically, right? Making the market enormous right now. However, if they actually narrow that down into the people with the ability to make purchases on their phone and outside of China, which is where Spotify currently operates, then it's a little bit different, right? So as of 2021, in the annual report to shareholders, which is the most recent annual report, Spotify claimed that they had only captured 8% of their defined total addressable market. And this is known as the TAM, T-A-M, okay, important metric. Again, we can think of Spotify as operating in three primary business segments. So first is the users, the freemium and the paid subscribers, right? Second, we have the creators, and this includes the musicians, podcasters, and now the authors. And then the third segment we can think about is the advertisers, right? So this is the people who are going to spend their ad dollars on the platform that is Spotify. So ideally, Spotify would have each of these segments nailed down as much as possible and as tightly defined as possible. So we'd love to know who they believe their target market is, how much of it they already have, and how much room there is to grow. So again, this would be their defined total of addressable market. And you can actually think of this ICA in a different way, okay? It's essentially defining the parameters for the future potential of the business, okay? For example, Spotify often looks at the terrestrial radio, remember that word, advertising spend as part of their potential addressable market, right? And this makes sense because we can consider this a large part of the current audio advertising spend. And Spotify has actually laid out what they believe to be their total addressable market as far as their subscribers go in their most recent annual shareholder event. But I haven't actually come across a well-defined ICA for the creator side of the business as far as that TAM goes, okay? So I'll have to do a little bit more digging here to figure this out. But one of Spotify's internal North Stars is stated as this. So our mission is to unlock the potential of human creativity by giving a million creative artists the opportunity to live off their art and billions of fans the opportunity to enjoy and be inspired by these creators. And if we use this North Star, like internal North Star, as a hint of what they believe that their TAM is for the creative side of the business, which they've had this quote in their annual report since they IPO'd. So if that goal is to truly have 1 million creators live off their art, they have a long way to go, which is a good thing when it comes to a big, hairy, audacious goal, right? The only number I could find for their progress on this with the first half of this metric at least, as of March 2021, was that 13,400 artists generate $50,000 plus through Spotify. So they have a long way to go if they use that $50,000 as the baseline for that million creators to reach, right? However, keep in mind that this figure does not include podcasts, which is much more of a black box to figure out, and I've tried. So <laughs> it's very tricky to try to figure this out. So when advertising is ramped up in the future, if we can expect that to continue, right? We'll probably be able to look there for some more hard data on that. So we'll have to keep updated on that. 
But what we do know right now is that many businesses use podcasts as their primary or at least one of their main sources for generating traffic slash customers, right? And they also use things like podcasting to build their brand to influence their advertisers so they can see how many people they're actually reaching through their podcast as well. And they sell stuff directly through their podcast too, right? And as I mentioned, this number is kind of impossible to track right now. But either way, Spotify has a long way to go in this regard. So as far as the billions of fans part of the North Star, they are already halfway to that first billion, basically, right? With the 456 million people. And in fact, they have plans to hit that first billion by the year 2030. So roughly seven years from today. And if we can look out into the future, we can actually see this flywheel expand, right? For both of these key metrics over time. As more people come onto the platform, this gives artists the advantage to reach more people, giving them a higher chance or higher probability of profitability, right? And just think about this from the business perspective for a second and why it could be extremely attractive for a business to start a podcast on Spotify. So there are roughly, let's say, 4 million podcasts on Spotify, okay? Roughly 456 million monthly active subscribers, right? Of which roughly 32 million Americans currently listen to podcasts. So you ready for the hype on this part? So this means that every podcast that is launched on Spotify currently has the potential to reach 32 million people in the U.S. alone. So with a potential, potential total addressable market or TAM currently of 456 million people, right? So just think how enticing that is for a business. All of a sudden, they could potentially reach 456 new customers, right? And in a pretty intimate way, honestly, like I am talking directly into your ear right now and you're listening to me, right? It's kind of like we're having a conversation, even though it is one-sided, I am still kind of there with you in your life right now. So you can see how this could grow over time too, right? So a fun fact, the Joe Rogan experience, for example, averages around 11 million listeners per episode and is currently the most popular podcast in the world. Of course, competition doesn't exactly work that way and the distribution is always far from being equal, but now consider that Spotify reaches, if they do, reach 1 billion subscribers by 2030, right? The TAM also expands, giving the podcasters a much larger potential reach and therefore a much larger potential for profit, right? That probability of profit. And that's without adding the almost guaranteed cross-pollination of music listeners to podcast listener growth that will occur as the suggestions from their AI engine gets better and better with more data, right? But again, I'm getting sidetracked. Back to the ideal customer avatar ICA conversation, right? So Spotify's number one focus as far as target audience goes is still their subscribers. And for good reason, right? If you take a short walk with me back to our flywheel analogy, the more subscribers they have equals more slash better artists, right? Which equals more subscribers, which again, tracks more advertisers. And if there's more subscribers, that will attract more artists, the best artists. And when the best artists and there's more artists, it'll attract more subscribers. And the more subscribers will attract more advertisers. You get the idea, right? Every turn of the wheel makes that a more powerful revolution, right? And you might want to take a pause and actually think about this for a moment because it's super important. The more subscribers Spotify can attract compared to its competitor, right? The more attractive it is for the creative artists, like podcasters, musicians, authors for audiobooks, to put their content on Spotify. The better the content, the more attractive it is for the subscribers, new and existing, which has the doubling effect of having people less likely to leave, but also being more likely for new people to join. And then because of the better content, the more subscribers are attracted to the service, and that feedback loop continues and continues, right? And this causes yet another turning of the wheel. This was not the beginning. There are no beginnings to the turning of the wheel, but it is a beginning. That's for you wheel of time nerds out there. And just as a quick side note, we've kind of already talked about this, but the more the Spotify flywheel turns, right, the more it attracts advertisers to the service as well. 
which actually serves as yet another attractor to creatives, especially podcasters, right? Because of the ability for them to make money directly from advertisers on Spotify. And this is through a relatively new service called the Spotify Ad Network, or SPAN for short, which at this time shares 50% of all revenue for ad inserts with the creator slash podcaster. And this can help attract podcasters to the service right away because they can start making money right off the bat. Especially if you already had a large audience, you could bring that audience over to Spotify and start selling to them directly if you didn't have a way to make revenue. So you can see how that could help push the revolutions of their wheel to create even more momentum, right? And this is ultimately why Spotify is so focused on those three business segments, right? So the users, again, the creators and the advertisers, because they know as long as they keep adding in each of those segments, it attracts people from the other segments, essentially adding more leverage to that flywheel and continuing to build that momentum over and over again, right? Now, it's time for us to go back to that micro and macro view that we talked about, right? So we're looking at the business and the overall industry. So first we'll look at the company itself and the supporting or impeding growth rates that will either be like getting a mushroom in Mario Kart, boosting the business forwards, right? Or if we stick with this amazing analogy, will the company instead slip on that banana peel and just spin out? So next we need to look at the individual industries that Spotify plays in, pun intended, decide if we think that they will actually be around for the next 20 years. So keep in mind, we want to be investing in a growing business that's also in a growing industry. Super important. So as the saying goes, no tree will grow to the sky. But the ironic thing is, that's exactly what we're actually looking for, right? So I like to think of it as like the company is a seed that the employees are continuing to care for and water and hopefully use a bit of fertilizer from time to time. And what we're doing is making sure that the pot that they actually planted that seed in is big enough for it to grow from that sapling that it starts out as into the massive tree that we want it to be in the future so that we can enjoy the fruits and the shade of all that labor. I know, it's a beautiful metaphor, almost as good as the Mario Kart one from earlier. So this not only allows for the company to capture some of the current market, but allows for further expansion of its addressable market. That's known as the TAM, the T-A-M, total addressable market. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, the company must have a clear advantage over the competition. So this competitive advantage is key because without it, the other two factors become meaningless. So the question we'll be answering later is, does Spotify have a clear and almost unfair advantage over its competitors? So keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this analysis. Finding the answers to some of these questions and the numbers that correlate to them are gonna take some work, okay? In the near future, we'll probably be able to use resources like ChatGBT and just type in the question instead of using the almighty Google machine for finding the answers we're looking for. But it's also important to remember that the source of those answers is almost as important as the answer itself. Because we don't want to find ourselves playing a game of telephone and end up using that last answer in the line, right? So as I mentioned earlier, my favorite ways to find answers are from three main sources. So from the company itself, data compilers of that information, and from the investors that we are value hacking. And that's exactly where I found the answers to what we need today. And one of the main drivers that Spotify is currently focusing on is its revenue growth. So in fact, according to Daniel Ek, Spotify CEO, they're trying to grow revenue as quickly as possible. And remember that revenue is that top line growth number. So it's called that for a reason, not only because it's literally found at the very top of the income statement, but because it's the purest unfiltered form of all the money flowing into the business. But what's really important is where the heck all that money is coming from in the first place. So you can kind of think of this as like, the company is a lake and all these different flows of income are streaming into the lake. We want to know the source of those streams and if they are going to turn into rivers in the future 
or if they're going to dry up. So the higher the flow, the bigger the business will get. And sure, the past growth rates could be great, and in this case they are. But what we must know is the actual inputs that make up that revenue. And then we have to find out what their expected future growth rates are on those individual inputs and the size of those individual markets, also known as the TAM. So while most people are looking through that rear view mirror, right, just effectively just using the past and historical growth rates, we're actually looking at the source of where those are coming from and their expected future. And this is one of the main reasons we call this next level investing, because it is that next level. So let's talk about that revenue. So as mentioned at the beginning of this discussion back in episode one, I think, we talked about how Spotify's revenue has a compounded annual growth rate or a CAGR of 26% from 2018 when they went public to 2021. And in 2022, they were able to grow revenue again by 21%. So at their investor day in 2022, they discussed that their target on revenue for each year up till 2030 was 20%. So what we need to discover and uncover is if this number is not only possible, but actually achievable, right? And then we actually really want it to be reasonable as well. So Spotify has some really strong historical growth. And if we were to use that rule of 72 and project that into the future, they effectively double their revenue every three years. So 20%, if they continue to grow at that rate, which is their expected growth rate, doubles in roughly 3.6 years. However, just because the road in the past was smooth, doesn't mean the future road is not going to be bumpy. So past growth does not necessarily mean continued future growth. So remember, in order to actually find a company that's capable of producing that 10x to 100x return that we're looking for, we need to look out into the future. So the further into the future we are looking, the thicker the fog is, the less clearly we can actually see. Now, most investors, especially individual everyday investors, tend to focus solely on the numbers because the numbers are comfortable. They feel grounding and real, but that's really just a a false sense of security. So what they fail to realize is that what they are looking at isn't a crystal clear look into the future, but it's actually just a mirror pointing behind them into the past. So the simple truth is the future is not a copy of the past. And we can attach that quote that's attributed to Mark Twain, although according to Howard Marks, there's no actual evidence that he said this, but it's still a good quote. So history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. We, as next level investors and one away value hackers, on the other hand, see the future as uncertain. We know it is. So we are trying to peer into that thick gray fog in front of us. And in order to do that, we have to shine a light on as much of it as possible, burning it away, giving us a clearer look into that future. We don't simply trust, we verify. One thing we actually haven't talked about yet is that Spotify, since it's gone public, has never had a profitable year. And I'm not saying they haven't made money because they have continuously, but they haven't been able to keep any of that money as earnings. And this scares off a lot of value investors. And it's also what makes it difficult for institutional investors to invest as well. It's hard to plug in zeros into a financial model that's supposed to tell them what price they should be paying. But here's the good news. So Spotify has generated roughly 200 million in free cash flow every year since going public. So remember that free cash flow is just cash from operations subtracting cap expenditures, okay? So capital expenditures. So what this tells me is that they are able to generate a profit, but they are actually just spending their profit to continue to grow their company. And if they are able to continue to do so at a rate of 20% plus into the future, then we want them to. We don't want them to keep the cash, right? We want them to reinvest in a growing business. Think about it this way. So as revenue continues to grow, even if that gross profit percentage remains constant, the actual gross profit amount 
will grow at that same percentage as revenue does. So this means they have more money to spend on growth and acquisitions in the future, advertising and staff as well. The key metric that we need to focus on in this case is, is CapEx growing faster than revenue? And we'll be diving into this in a lot greater detail when we go through that mine the moat piece of our analysis where we actually dig into these individual numbers. But the trend in the past has been positive in this direction. So remember, we've seen gross profit rise at a compounded annual growth rate, a CAGR at 35%, versus revenue at 26%. So you can already see that there's a spread there that we want to see. So that gross profit is rising faster than revenue. So podcast investments are the company's current reason for dragging down this gross profit margin, which the Spotify team attributes to 2022 being a year of investment. So they expect this trend to actually reverse in 2023 and for this CapEx to decrease meaningfully as well. So we're just gonna have to keep our eye on that and make sure that they follow through on this expectation, okay? Okay, now let's get back to our big question of if Spotify can be around and thrive in the next 10 to 20 years. So let's talk about Spotify's big audacious goal here. So according to Spotify, not only will they be around 10 years from now, but they will be a massive global audio force to be reckoned with. So Spotify threw down the gauntlet at its most recent investor day, saying, nay declaring that by the year 2030, they will achieve a company-wide gross profit margin of 40% and an operating margin of 20%. So gross profit margin right now, by the way, is hovering around 28%. And operating margin, well, that doesn't even exist. So it's at zero and in a negative territory right now. So that is a giant leap into the future. So here's the even more audacious part of this, if the above wasn't already audacious enough for you. So Spotify is also claiming that they will be generating $100 billion in annual revenue by the year 2030. But Ryan, $100 billion? That's crazy pants. How could they even possibly achieve that? You're probably saying. And yes, those pants are indeed pretty crazy, especially considering that this is roughly 10x Spotify's current revenue levels. So here's how they intended to do that, though. So they say by that magical year of 2030, the average user will generate $100 of revenue for the company. And this, by the way, means that in order for them to make $100 billion in revenue, they need 1 billion subscribers, right? Yowza. Quick next level side note. So that $100 average revenue per user number is known as the ARPU, A-R-P-U, and is one of Spotify's key business metrics that you'll want to pay close attention to. Get back to it. So the truth is, only time will actually tell if they are able to accomplish this, but it's certainly a goal worth reaching for. And don't worry, we'll revisit this when we get to the valuation portion of this analysis, which is going to be super fun. Now let's talk about the individual user experience. So this is the next important piece of why Spotify will and should be around 10 to 20 years from now, right? So it is the single best user experience out there. So now this can be a little bit subjective. After all, how do I know? Everybody thinks it's the best. So well, the truth is not everybody actually does, just most people do. So Spotify proves this by not only having the largest market share, aka the paid and non-paying members, right, or subscribers, but it also has the highest retention, listening time per user, and overall it completely dominates the market right now. So the closest competitor, by example, is Apple, and Spotify has more than double the number of subscribers. And that lead is not shrinking, it's actually growing. And Spotify will need to keep this trend in the right direction, obviously, if they not only want to hold their existing users, but continue to aggressively and impressively add new ones. Now let's shift over to podcasts. So podcasts, podcasts, podcasts. 
So when I was going through my in-depth research here, podcasts was another big question mark. So not only is it an unknown and an untested market, but we just don't know where the profit levels will end up at. So the thing is, it's a very underdeveloped market, which in one of the things Spotify hopes to change. So this could mean opportunity, and that's why Spotify has invested more than $1 billion to date into podcasts since that 2019 entry. What they have done is impressive though. So taking on Apple again as the almost uncontested leader at the time, and not only holding their own, but actually surpassing Apple. And I actually personally made the switch from Apple podcasts after using them for a long time. So the truth is that it was obvious that Apple really didn't care that much about this arm of the business because it's so tiny for them, right? And Spotify quickly created a much better user experience. And it probably collected more users like me who saw that Spotify was just doing a much better job of serving that audience. So what I did discover, which is important to this part of the analysis, is that the compounded annual growth rate for podcasts is expected to be more than 30% from now until 2028. And importantly, Spotify is now the global leader in podcasts as well, with over 4 million podcasts to date. And just to contextualize that, back in 2019 when they entered the market, they only had 500,000 podcasts. So that's three doubles in three years, or roughly a 72% compounded annual growth rate from when they entered the market. Alrighty then, now let's talk about music. So music is still the lifeblood of Spotify, and it is still the number one reason most people join the service. In fact, if we subtract out the percentage of people on Spotify who have listened to podcasts, we still get roughly 70% of users who use Spotify only for its music service at this time. This number or percentage is shrinking, but it's still enormous. So music is such an important part of our daily lives, culture, experiences, that it's certainly not going anywhere. So the way we listen may change, certainly has, like the shift that's happening away from radio into personalized streaming, but we probably and most likely will always listen to music. So what about the future of music as an industry though? Right? So according to Grandview Research, the music streaming industry is expected to continue to grow at a compounded annual growth rate or a CAGR of 13.3% in the US up till 2030 and 14.7% compounded annual growth rate worldwide. So the total revenue is expected to reach, depending on where you look, anywhere from 80 to 103 billion by 2030. So this wouldn't quite reach our 20% growth mark that we're looking for, that the company says that they're going to achieve. But you gotta remember this, this is a double-sided growth. So this is 13.3% for the music industry, it's not streaming. So remember that streaming is taking away market share from other legacy ways that people are consuming music right now, like radio and like CDs, especially in Japan, that's still a big part of their culture. So this means that the industry as a whole is growing and so is streaming as a part of that whole. Okay, so it's like a double-sided growth into that total addressable market. And as you should know by now, as the industry expands, so too will Spotify. So the last and very often overlooked aspect of the future potential is something we already touched on earlier though. And that's the question of what is Spotify's actual total addressable market? So when I tried to dig into this number, I search by smartphone user. After all, when we think back to our ICA, our ideal customer avatar, right? If we focus solely on the end user, Spotify is trying to serve anyone with a smartphone. That got me a to a TAM of 6.4 billion. Then I found out that Spotify is not going to, at least not for now, enter into the Chinese market. So that's at least a billion less. So let's say 5.4 billion potential Spotify customers right now. Okay, so now we know the total market is roughly 5.4 billion people, right? But how much of that is it likely that Spotify is going to actually capture? And currently, Spotify captures roughly a third or 30% of the total market. 
but this metric includes China, which means that Spotify actually has a larger share if we exclude China. So this took a little bit of doing, but I found out that the largest music streaming business in China is Tencent Music, and they have 82.7 million paid subscribers. And I subtracted that number from the total worldwide paid subscribers, including like Apple, Amazon, Google, Pandora, all the major companies. And that gave us, as of Q2 2022, 533 million paid subscribers worldwide. Of that, Spotify at that time had roughly 187.8 million paid subs with me so far. So this means that Spotify, excluding China, actually has a market share of 35.2%. So if we expect this number to remain constant and go back to our TAMX China, this means that Spotify's expected future market size could be as much as 1.9 billion users. So this is an extremely important question that came up when Spotify announced its intention of having 1 billion subs by 2030. Is this actually possible? And according to my back of the napkin math, the answer is a resounding yes, because they have room for 1.9 billion, almost 2 billion. So that's great. It looks like our little sapling has room to grow. So a quick side note on this though, we want to buy a company when it's not quite a fledgling sapling, but also not a giant tree either, right? So remember the goal of this podcast and our analysis specifically is to achieve 100x returns. In order to achieve this, we have to buy it early enough that it has room to grow to that 100x, right? 100 times. But it has to be established enough to know that it's not just going to die too, right? So this is the major purpose of our analysis, to make certain we are buying the former and not falling into the latter. So we are like Goldilocks. We're trying to buy something that's not too small, not too big, but just right. And at 15 billion market cap, I think Spotify falls into this Goldilocks zone. The last piece of supporting evidence we're going to touch on that Spotify will be around and hopefully thriving by the year 2030, right? Is that they plan to add three more business verticals to their offering already. We're only going to touch on this briefly here as we'll be taking a closer look at this in our mind of the moat analysis, right? But the first is audiobooks, which are now available in the US. They're not here in Canada yet but we'll likely see them expanding this into more and more markets as time goes on. Remember that, again, they're in 183 markets that they currently serve. So if they can expand that out, obviously that's going to grow rapidly. On Android phones, this is a pretty seamless experience, but on Apple phones, you can't even buy audiobooks through the Spotify app. So they're having some big issues with Apple right now, and we'll have to see how that shakes up in the end. The other two verticals have only been hinted at, but from what I've found and what I've dug into, it seems likely that they will be getting into offering news and sports as I think one subsector, and then education as well. And these three industries are very large. So this will actually expand their TAM as well, putting our little sapling, right, that we're looking at into an even bigger pot to grow into. So this doesn't guarantee that they will achieve that growth, but it does give them a much higher potential for future growth. And the more growth potential there is, the higher our probability of being able to hold this company for a long time. And the longer we can hold and the more the company is able to grow while we hold it, the higher our probability that we actually achieve that 100x return that we're looking for. It all comes down to this. The entire AAA analysis distilled down into one concise sentence describing exactly why Spotify is likely to be a truly great investment. So we're gonna start with the question of, is Spotify actually the best? So one of the keys to investing, at least successfully, and for the long term, especially when you're looking to get 100 or 10X returns like we are, right? 
is to not only buy, sometimes feverishly, when a company goes deeply on sale, but to buy and then hold on. And sometimes it's hold on for dear life. However, this strategy only actually works if you've chosen the right company in the first place. So by now we know that Spotify is, or at least has the potential to be, a truly great business, right? Especially if they can make the future rhyme with the past. So we know they are a great company, but the question is, are they actually the best company? Because here's the thing, the best business is the one that is most likely to survive and to keep growing into the future. The one that will continue to improve when every other similar business is actually struggling. And it'll be the one that will deliver the best return for us as shareholders, right? So when we're researching a company, we have to inevitably look at the competition as well. And sometimes when we're actually doing this, we end up switching companies. So we switch to a company that is actually better in the space that they're competing in because we find out that they're actually not the best when we're doing the investment research. And we'll be digging deeper into the competition in our mind the moat analysis, but we should be familiar by now with exactly who Spotify is competing against. And arguably, you could say that Spotify is competing against anyone that is also trying to get a share of the listener. So they want to own the audio industry. And they want to do this by having the best, most curated, and deeply personalized audio on the planet. And they want to deliver that in multiple different formats. So all those verticals we talked about. And this is obviously a pretty broad market. From elevators to that elevator music, which I think is actually called Muzak for some reason, to the scratchy music you're lucky enough to listen to when you get put on hold for hours trying to get through to your cell phone provider, right? But we can break these down into three large buckets. There's still radio, which you now know is called terrestrial radio. And then we have analog, things like CDs, cassettes, still, yeah, they exist, or records, right? And then we have, of course, streaming, which is the up and coming and the one that is the biggest and the fastest growing as well. And we can break radio down into two smaller buckets too. So there's still satellite radio, like Sirius XM. And then we have terrestrial radio. So you know the kind you listen to in your car that seems to have like two minutes of ads for every seven minutes of music, remember that? And analog is anything that requires a physical medium and no connection to the radio or internet to play. So this is like the resurgence of vinyl that's happened thanks to all those hipsters out there, right? Or for some reason, CDs in Japan still is a big thing. But streaming is where the action really is and it's where everything is going. It's like a magnet to all the other mediums except in this case, it's an ear magnet. And with the advent of streaming, you have all the music you could ever possibly want, literally in your pocket sometimes. In fact, it's more than any box store has ever had, all at your literal fingertips. So this is a compelling product offering, and it's why it's now the largest source of revenue for the entire music industry. And because this is a growing space, it attracts competition. And when you think about music streaming, there are really only three other companies that have most of the mindshare and the subscribers to back it up. And they are obviously Spotify at number one, and you have Apple Music at number two, then you have YouTube Music at number three, and finally Amazon Music at number four. So this is the part of Spotify's story that usually stops people in their tracks. And honestly, I can understand why. If we just look at Apple itself, currently has a market cap of $2.4 trillion. Yes, trillion. Amazon is around a $1 trillion business. And Spotify? Well, in comparison, it's teeny tiny $15 billion business at today's price. And just to put that into perspective for you, if we compare Spotify to just the 0.4 of the 2.4 trillion that is Apple's market cap, that means Spotify is still only 3.5% the size of Apple's leftover market cap. This is about as David and Goliath as it gets, except that there are not just one Goliath, there's three of them facing against our one David. 
And that's why those Goliaths tend to scare away most of the people who are looking at Spotify as an investment. The question that we'll be answering in our future episodes is how could our David possibly survive against this type of competition? But to come back around and actually answer the question that we started off this topic with, is Spotify actually the best company in this space? Okay, so let's go through some facts that are true as of today. So here's what we already know. Spotify is the clear market leader in music. Spotify is the clear market leader in podcasts. Spotify is the clear market leader by quite a long shot in user engagement. Spotify has the lowest churn. Spotify is trading at the lowest sales multiple, right? So the stock price relative to the amount of revenue it generates. So we know that. Spotify has the most room to grow. Again, it's a $15 billion market cap versus a $1 to $2 trillion business. So Spotify is the only audio-focused platform at scale currently. So, so far, Spotify is the best in the biz. So now we're going to move on to what Spotify's North Star narrative is, okay, or the narrative North Star. So if we go all the way back to the very first episode of this AAA analysis, everything, the entire purpose of this was so that we could, in fact, find exactly what Spotify's North Star narrative is. So what we just spent so much time to do, this whole entire thing, the core piece that all of the questions we asked and answered were designed to point us towards. So it's time to finally distill everything we've learned about this company down into a single, powerful, all-encompassing sentence. And if you're thinking that doesn't sound very easy, well, you're right, because it's not that easy. And this is going to adjust as we go through more of the analysis. So this North Star narrative will adjust as you learn more about the company and as the company changes over time, okay? So this is like a, a living sentence, as you can think of it as. So it is likely to change and grow as we learn more about the company, the future, and what Spotify's competitive advantage is or its mode. So I'd love for you to maybe even pause this right now and to try to do this on your own, okay? So what I found after taking amazing people through this program and this thought process is that everyone's answer is very different and it should be. You can think of it as your statement of conviction, okay? So it's exactly why you, and I am pointing at you, would love to own this company. And it's why it's likely to grow and to be a truly amazing business and investment in the future for you. So it's essentially a personal statement wrapped around the entire business future. And remember our mindset too. As soon as we buy a single share of any business, we become owners of that business. So we need to treat it that way. So as of right now in my research where I'm currently at, Spotify's North Star narrative is the perpetual motion machine that they have created and that they continue to build. So it's the momentum of that flywheel that with each push and each turn gets faster and faster. And it can kind of be summarized like this. So the more free subscribers they get leads to more creators, and this leads to the best user experience. And there's a couple offshoots from this perpetual motion machine. Because it's the best user experience, more people are likely to convert to paid. And because there's more people that do sign up in the first place, there's more revenue opportunities for Spotify to generate. And that basically means a higher long-term value or lifetime value for each individual user. So this is the most basic version of the Spotify machine that they've been talking about. And it will need to be a well-ordered machine in order for us to achieve that 10 to 100x return. So we need to really zoom in, and we can really zoom in, on each of these components of the machine and break it down into its smaller component part. The key going forward will be keeping track of each part of this machine. So if we start to see pieces falling apart, right, or they're getting a little rusty, the whole machine can break down. And when our North Star narrative no longer exists in the company, it's like our original thesis, then we need to act accordingly, and that can mean selling. So here's that same framework expanded a bit. So free and paid subscribers attracts the most slash the best creators, which leads to the longer time spent on Spotify for those individuals who are subscribers, 
which means more data to make the best, most personalized user experience, which leads to higher retention and conversions, which means larger lifetime value, which leads to more free and paid subscribers, right? So now if we want to boil this down into the single sentence to rule them all, the one sentence to rule everything, it goes like this. So Spotify will attract the most subscribers, which will continue to attract the most and best creators, which builds the best, most deeply personalized user experience, which will attract even more subscribers, creating an extremely powerful feedback loop that will lead to 1 billion users, 100 billion in revenue within 10 years. So that is my North Star narrative for Spotify. So again, Spotify will attract the most subscribers, which will continue to attract the most and best creators, which then builds the best, most deeply personalized user experience thanks to their algorithms and machine learning, which will attract even more subscribers by creating an extremely powerful feedback loop that will lead them to 1 billion users and 100 billion in revenue all within 10 years by the year 2032. And just for some context, not to leave you hanging here, they currently create or they currently generate roughly 10 billion in revenue. So if they're able to 10x that and get to 100 billion in revenue, that should mean at a same relative metric or multiple, right, on the stock price, that we should have a 10x stock price problem today. So we will be keeping our close eye on exactly if they're on track to doing this, okay? So it's like that North Star you're looking to in the future, and are they kind of hitting those milestones along the path to that 10-year plan? And guess what? If you're in this with me, then we're going to be doing that basically every year until it happens. So it's going to be pretty fun. So now we're going to move on to the next section, though, and this is the one where I'm going to force you to decide if you actually like this business. Because if you don't want to spend your time investing in the business, sure, you can kind of learn how you should be looking at other companies. And that's what we're going to be going through as we finish this analysis. It's kind of like the what, the why, and the how is what we're going through. But this is going to be very Spotify specific. So you could always skip the rest of these episodes if Spotify is not the company for you. So you're going to have to, at this point, when we get past this next section, decide if Spotify could be the one for you. Okay. So this is the section we're going to call, could this be love? So remember earlier when I talked about how investing is kind of like dating? Well, now it is time for you to decide if you're actually ready to commit to a long-term relationship. And don't worry, we haven't set a date or anything, but by now you should at least know if this is a company you could see yourself spending the rest of your life with. Because the simple truth is, the one investment away process and achieving that one investment away status, that 100x return, requires that you not only do the deep research on a company, or at least get that conviction, but that we continue and that you continue to learn more and more as you hold it. So I have a question for you right now, one that you will need to answer. Are you ready? So the question is, is Spotify a company, and this is going to be in the first person, is Spotify a company I could see spending the rest of my life with? Think about that. Could you actually see yourself buying this company and holding it forever? And remember, our perspective is, as soon as we buy a single share in the company, we become owners of that business. So if that helps you reframe this, if you could buy the entire company of Spotify, you had 15 billion lying around and you bought Spotify as is, would you be okay holding that company for the rest of your life? So remember that in order to achieve that 100x return, you need to hold on for a long time. So this is thinking in decades, not days. And to do that, you better be willing to actually learn more about this business as time goes on. And luckily for you, I'm doing a lot of the research for us, right? So it's going to be going just through the process with me as we go through this. So it is up to you though. So you can also think of it like this. 
So Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire Hathaway, is known as being the abominable no man. The abominable no man. So he says no to a thousand ideas before he gets even close to saying yes to one single investment. And that's largely the point. And that's largely why he's been so successful and is now a billionaire. Every single step in our analysis could be finished or completed with asking the question, based on what I just learned, should I actually keep learning about this company? And like I said, you are going to have to answer this for yourself as well as we go on this journey together through this wonderful, wild world of investing. So maybe a yes to me is a no to you, and that's totally fine. Investing is a personal journey, and I'm definitely not going to recommend you do exactly as I do. For me, at least so far, Spotify has checked all the yes boxes, at least on this first part of our analysis. And the truth is, the more I learn about this company, the more I want to actually learn about the company, and that's important. It doesn't just have to be about making money, right? We can actually take an interest in what we're doing and learning about companies that are actually enjoyable to learn about for us. So again, I don't want this to only be profitable. I want to actually enjoy the journey. It's not the destination, it's the journey. So in other words, could this be love? That's your question. So quick next level side note. It's at this point in my analysis that I usually put a little skin in the game, okay? So in other words, I'll buy some shares to not only give myself some motivation, to actually put in the work that I know I need to do, but because I've already gotten this far. So it means I need to finish the analysis because I've already said yes and gotten past all those objections to get past that no, right? So in this case, we can use that sunken cost bias that you can have for positive action instead. So the truth is we put more importance on the things that we pay for, right? So putting some money in an investment is like a good little trick to follow through that you know you're gonna actually put your time in. So we can use it as leverage on us, putting in the work and taking the action necessary to have total conviction in the business and our investment thesis. So it's kind of like avoiding those shiny red objects and to stay focused on just one company. And it also helps that we chose this stock in the first place because it looked ridiculously on sale. So I hope by the time I get these episodes out to you that it's still deeply on sale, but there's a chance that it will go up or hopefully even go down further in price, right? but we'll get to that during our valuation portion anyway. So we'll talk about why I bought some shares and why you could consider buying shares too. So stay tuned for that. All right, back to it. Okay, conclusion time. So phew, right? That was, a, that was pretty intense. So the good news is you already know, as I've mentioned this before kind of, you know more about Spotify, the company, than almost any of its current shareholders right now. I can almost guarantee that. So how cool is that? So by the time we've, we're done here, you'll be at a whole nother level. So here's a quick recap of what you, just a small part of what you just discovered about Spotify. So Spotify, right, company, ticker is SPOT, if you can still remember that, has the makings, culture, and characteristics of a truly great company. And this is why Josh Tarasoff of Greenleaf Capital, Greenlee Lane, sorry, Capital, purchased shares back in 2018 for the estimated average price of 173.9. Those were dollars, by the way. And arguably, the company was in a much worse position back then than it is now. It was much less dominant, much less sustainable, much less stable, right? He purchased at 173.90. So if you agree with his analysis and the future potential of the business, you can buy that company at a deep discount to what Josh paid. So the interesting thing here is that Spotify is not the same company as I mentioned. It was back in 2018 when Josh Tarasoff bought it. It's stronger, more diversified, has a much deeper market penetration. It has better margins, it has way more songs, way more creators, way more subscribers and offerings than it had in the past. And even more importantly for us, it actually has a much brighter future 
than it did back then, right? So, so they added all those new verticals, which gave them a much larger total addressable market, which means a much larger future potential and the much higher probability of a company being able to grow into that 100x investment. It needs that room to grow. So this means that not only can we buy at an almost $100 discount to our hacked next level investor, right, who paid 173 but that we're actually making a better investment than Josh did back when he made it in 2018. So all those what ifs and could be's from 2018, right, have become and already happened and even better than expected sometimes. So sometimes time is your greatest ally. So in this case, that is definitely true. And you have also learned that although the stock has dropped by roughly 80% from that time, right, from its all-time high, the business itself has never looked better, growing at roughly 26% compounded annual growth rates for that four-year time frame that we looked at. And you now know that Spotify's internal North Star is to unlock the potential for human creativity by giving 1 million creative artists the opportunity to live off their art and billions of fans the opportunity to enjoy and be inspired by these creators. So this is the company's internal North Star narrative, like I said, and it is the nucleus that all those new business verticals they add, that they added are built around and built for, okay? So you now know that Spotify is not only a music streaming service, not anymore, but the number one music streaming service on the planet. And they are also now the number one podcast company, and now have moved into audiobooks industry as well, which we're hoping they will again become number one in the world at. So you know that this has not only diversified Spotify as a business and its income streams, but expanded their margin potential. And it actually uncapped and unlocked their revenue potential as well. But it also massively increased, which is important for us, their total addressable market, that TAM, to roughly, or at least from my napkin math, of 1.9 billion opportunity for them. So the good news is, as we go through this analysis together, you'll quickly see that everything we learn bleeds into the rest of the analysis. So it goes a lot quicker from here on out. So in other words, the work you're doing here and what you're already learning here will help support you on the rest of the journey as we go through the remainder of the one-away analysis together, right? So we did the AAA. Now we need to go into mind the moat, the moat analysis. Then we go into meeting the management. And then we check if there was an event that put this company on sale. So with Spotify, there might've been, right? And then we go into something called the rational reversal, which is where we actually flip the script and talk about why this company is the worst company on the planet. So we make sure that we look at the negative side of the picture too. And then we look at how we can reduce our cost basis, which I'm not going to get into too much here because it's a little bit more advanced. But then we go into the last and certainly not least part, the sales price. So we call this the next level sales price. And that's where we figure out exactly what this company could be worth in the future and what we want to pay for it today. Okay, so that's exactly what we're going to do next time. So I will be talking to you then. Thank you so much for being here and sticking with me through this entire analysis. You are amazing, like seriously incredible. Just getting through this proves that you are not the average, okay? You are already next level. Next time, we're going to be digging into the moat analysis. This is one of the funnest things that we can do, and it is one of the biggest determinants of if a company can and will actually last to become that one investment that 100x investment that we're looking for. So thanks again. We'll talk again soon. And of course, don't forget, you're only one investment away. Let's go find it. As a reminder, do your own due diligence. All investment decisions are yours to make. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. This is not financial advice. I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. 
Thanks again for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.